Are you tired of using subpar fertilizer that don't give your crops the boost they need? Look no further than Irish Shite, the all-natural and sustainable solution for your farm. Made from the finest blend of Irish animal waste, Irish Shite provides essential nutrients for your crops to thrive. And it's not just good for your crops, it's also good for your skin. With Irish Shite, you'll look 10 years younger. So why settle for less? Choose Irish Shite. It's made right here in Ireland. And be sure to tell your friends and fellow farmers about the power of Irish manure. This message has been brought to you by the Irish Shite Association, the natural choice for a sustainable farm. The best bitch. You have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. Hello, best bits people. This is Will here. And we are back with a special roundup episode of our favourite films from the year of the year of our Lord 2022. As I already said, this is Will here, but I'm not alone. I am joined by Kevin. Kevin, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year, Will. (laughs) What are you laughing at? (laughs) Your voice. I'm fucking... I'm exhausted. I'm after sleeping it in for this recording. I've spent the last... I spent the entirety of Christmas sick as shit with COVID and watching all of these films. I hate films. I never want to watch another film ever again. I never, ever, ever want to see a film that's over two hours again. But I'm ready to talk about films. And that is why we needed to bring in a special guest, Pierce Ryan. Hello, Pierce. Welcome on board. Oh, oh, oh. Hello. Hello. Hello, Kevin. Did you give me COVID? Hello, Will. Christmas, Pierce. How are you, Pierce? Happy New Year. Hey, hey, I'm not too bad. How are you? We, well, yeah, I know how Kevin is. Uh, grand. <laughs> but, yeah, listen, lovely to be here. Hope you got lovely presents and everything like that. Had a, had a good Christmas and stuff. I got um, I got exactly what I wanted, which was a very rare bath and shower gel set for John Carney's The Rafters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lovely i i actually get that that waft get a a lynx africa set Mm -hmm. i get that kind of wafty old oak aroma right down the the internet airwaves i can smell it from you it's amazing it's carney carney in a jar no no we're we're all in the same room we're in the pod booth remember oh yeah we're in the pod booth (laughs) that's right but a roaring fire and somehow Over the Christmas, we have all been tormented by uh, us trying to fill in the gaps of all the films that we feel we should have seen this past year. All the films that are coming out that are all getting screened at the end of the year and stuff like that. So we've all been trying to squeeze them in while we're on the toilet trying to squeeze one out. And and, uh, and, Don't be so and we crass. have somehow... I'm sorry, it just popped into my head. And uh, somehow we have managed to uh, come together and make our own little lists. And we're going to share our lists between ourselves and our listeners. What does that sound? Yeah, I guess my list will have to do. fabulous. (laughs) 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 To to give you some clarity, Kevin slept in this morning and he was supposed to finish off his notes and, and finish his list. And he's now not... He's not ready. But hey, it'll be great because you've watched the films. They're all in your subconscious. You're going to give us great podcast. We're going to have to get letterbox open. What we're going to do is, right, so we're going to start at our 10s. If someone else has, let's say if I say number 10 is uh, Tiger Powder and someone else says Tiger Powder uh, higher up their list, say, oh, I've got that on my list. And we will 
hold off from talk from talking about tiger powder until we reach its highest ranking. If you know what I mean. So in mm. case so we don't uh, double over. So, lads, let's not faff about Sounds anymore. Good. Should we just get into it? Right. Listen. Do it. Let's do just it. do it. You ready, Kev? Um. Yes, but I'm not first. <laughs> you're, you're first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. I'll, I'll kick. I'll kick it off first. Right. So my number ten of the year. I uh, have learned that I I I do fancy a documentary. Right. For me, documentaries are a great crack, and I have two documentaries in my top ten this year. And at number 10, the first documentary I have in my top 10 is the film called Navalny. Hello. Vladimir Sanch, this is Navalny. Alexei was disappointed. I wanted to know why you wanted me to kill you. Remarkably, Vladimir Putin faces a legitimate opponent, Alexei Navalny. I don't want Putin being president. If I want to be a leader of a country, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much that they refuse to say his name. Passengers heard Navalny cry out in agony. Come on. Poisoned? Seriously? We are creating a coalition to fight this regime. If you are killed, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? It's very simple. Never give up. And it is the documentary about which uh, follows uh, Alexei Navalny, who is a direct opposition to uh, Vladimir Putin in Russia and it follows him as he survives an assassination attempt by poisoning with a lethal nerve agent and during the months of his long recovery he makes shocking discoveries about the attempt on his life and decides to return home. It is a riveting espionage Cold War thriller in real life. It's happening in uh, on camera in front of our very eyes and I was gripped by this film. I suppose it's topical because we see, you know, Russia's kind of in the news the past year. And to see this portrait of a guy from within Russia who is the on who was trying to stand up to Putin and uh, make a real case uh, for a, a Russia that's not led by the demonic powers of Putin. Uh, I found that to be so inspiring. And it is a really inspiring, powerful, gripping documentary. Um, that is my number 10 pick um, I love it did any of you get to see that? no no that's oh, excellent everyone else <laughs> should watch it that's my number 10 <laughs> no listen I it was on RTE and, and BBC I know during the I have a recorded it's well worth watching it so it's a TV it movie RTE, so it's one of those things that, no uh, and I think it's, uh, it's a feature documentary maybe one of the Storyville kind of stuff is it BBC4 or documentary kind of series thing it's a Anyway, it was it was shown on it has been shown on telly anyway already a couple of times. Yeah, it's absolutely gripping, really gripping, fascinating, yeah, fascinating oh, story, and TV it's amazing movie. that it's in real life. It captures Putin's antics on camera, and I just loved it. It's just crazy antics. Putin's crazy antics. <laughs> Pierce, I'll pass it over to you. What's your number ten, Pierce? Uh, I actually have joint number tens. Okay. Here. Uh, which is Moon Age Daydream and the Beatles Get Back the Rooftop Concert. Are you there, David? You're aware of a deeper existence. 
Maybe a temporary reassurance that indeed there is no beginning, no end. And you find yourself struggling to comprehend a deep mystery. Ever since I was 16, I was determined to have the greatest adventure that any one person could ever have. Ah. I'm an alligator. I'm a mama papa calling for you. I'm the space invader. I'll be a rock and roller bitch for you. And where and how about the shoes? Are those men's shoes or women's shoes or bisexual shoes? They're shoe shoes, silly. So, Moon Age Daydream, directed oh, by Brett Morgan. Uh, he did the Kurt Cobain documentary, Montage of Heck, and also the brilliant uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture. He has described this film as a maximalist, kaleidoscopic, and immersive experience, which, uh, funnily enough, is the same words that my doctor used about my colonoscopy. <laughs> he had access to the entire Bowie archive and rather than having just like talking heads appear on screen contextualize what we're seeing instead he lets the footage roll and just allows us to experience bowie and it's an overwhelming visual assault at times and even the most dedicated bowie fan uh, will see things here that they've never seen or heard before and the heard part is really important because i saw this in the imax in dublin and the sound nearly blew my fillings out it was astonishing I watched an interview with Brett Morgan, and he said what really impressed him, having watched all the footage in the Boy archive, which took him two years, was how present and curious Boy was with others. And he gave an example of, a, I think it was a 1986 interview with MTV. And before the interview formally began, Boy was asking the interviewer about what they were reading at the moment, and then he would tell them what he was reading. And in other words, he seemed to view every moment as an opportunity for an exchange. I should also say that when I went and saw this, it was the same weekend as the Garth Brooks concerts. So to come out of the cinema that evening, you know, this hmm. evening I spent with Bowie to be met by these Stetson-wearing masses coming back into town from the concert really added to the sort of like daydream yeah. experience. But it, it's fantastic. And I think it's back in the cinemas at the moment. I certainly know it's on the IFI for the next little while and, and stuff. So there might be a chance to catch it um, again. Then the Beatles get back, the rooftop concert. Okay, so obviously directed by Peter Jackson with footage originally filmed by uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg. This was another IMAX presentation. Again, a little over an hour. 
of the Beatles' final public concert on a cold January afternoon in 1969. And again, this is, you know, having devoured the eight hours of, of Get Back, you might think it's a bit pointless going to see an hour-long version at uh, IMAX prices. But again, the whole experience was just awesome. And to see them blown up to that size, to be able to see every bit of detail right down to the wonky floorboards that they were standing on. And then the sound, like, holy crap, the sound was like, I've grown up with the Beatles. I have their music on vinyl, tape, CD, streaming, and nothing has ever sounded like what I heard on that IMAX sound system. Every note, every bass run by Paul, it was like they were sitting around you playing. It was absolutely astonishing and just filled your heart, to be honest with you. So that's my number 10. Incredible. Yeah, I think that was on our top 10 last year, wasn't it? Get back. Yeah. I can't remember. It definitely I definitely know we mentioned it. We definitely mentioned it many times. Yeah, the TV the TV thing was yeah, was before Christmas, but um, then this documentary came oh, out okay. in January, I think. And Moon Age Daydream, I've seen the start of Moon Age Daydream and I started it too late. So I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to get back to that and I haven't got yeah. back to it, but I'm glad you bring it up because it now has encouraged me to go back and finish it. Um I'm always into a music doc. Fantastic. Kevin, how about you? What's your number 10? My number 10 is from a guest that we had on the podcast recently. It's uh, Jonas Govart's right. Hazard. Hey, Konijntje. Zeg, waar zit jij? Het is al half negen. Vijf voor, schatje. Vijf voor. Papa! Oh, wel, wel, wel. Ik heb een jobke. Een jobke. Via? Carlos. Carlos is zo vrij of wat? Yep. Carlito, I want to do it. I want to Connectedness, daar gaat het over. Connectivity, wifi, snap je? Wifi. Yeah, everything is wifi. Chicken back of me? Chicken back, ja. Is oké? Is oké. En je hebt gepakt. It's the movie that is set entirely from inside the perspective of a car during a manic day in Antwerp when a guy is tasked with rescuing his child and performing some criminal activity. It's incredibly stylish. It's full of adrenaline. It uh, is a great calling card and for me when I was trying to whittle down my top 10 I had about 25 films this year that I really really liked and I could interchange an awful lot of them at different spots but I wanted to sort of have some criteria for being able to justify why I've gone for the 10 that I've gone for and it came down to seeing something I'd not seen before and having scenes within it that are different to what, what I've seen before. An awful lot of the movies that I really liked this year, they had familiar scenes executed excellently, 
but the ones that I've chosen all had something in them where I'd never seen that scene before, that that combination of conflict, and it just made it much more enjoyable for me. So I have weighted originality quite heavily on my list, and Hazard being a film that is entirely from within the perspective of a car during a car chase, and so it's my number 10, uh, Jonas Govart's Hazard. It's a great pick, because, yeah, we watched that for when Jonas guested on Best Car Scene, and it is a riveting. It's not until you're halfway through the film you realise, oh, we've never left the car. We've, we've never been outside of the perspective of the car. Yeah, or really the ending for me, where I got to the end and thought, oh, I've never been, I've never left the car. <coughs> you never feel claustrophobic so cool. or trapped within it because of the lenses that they use. And they're shooting mm. through the glass and they're shooting... Like, I, have, I haven't uh, seen it. Is it a, a one-shot? Or is it, like, is there edits? Or, or... No. It's a, it's edited throughout. Yeah. It's constantly right. set within the car, within the confines of the car. But it never feels like you're stuck inside in the car. You don't feel claustrophobic. There's an awful lot of these one-shot movies. Like, I just watched Athena recently. And Athena's on Netflix and it's all, you know, it's a series of one-takes, winners. And they get spectacularly huge. Like, the opening to that film is the best opening of all the movies I've seen this year. But then it keeps repeating itself. It's it's based in sort of like a tenement block in Paris and uh, a riot is going on and you're following a, a group of different thugs as they are involved in this riot. And there must be there must be thousands of extras involved. It's all coordinated. There's so much going on. There's fire, there's explosions. But after a while, that repeating itself of like, this is another one and that's another one and that's another one and you know you're moving from this room where somebody's just died into another room where there's a fight breaking out into another room where somebody's having a heart to heart that tends to feel more claustrophobic oddly because of how compacted the time frame is mm. but um i never got that with hazard hazard just felt really open and expansive and cinematic mm. i mean just talking about another one or yeah. uh, another film we saw during the year was boiling point which I think is also on Netflix, isn't it? The Stephen Graham one that's set in a restaurant. It's all done in one take. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah I thought it was really good. I it worked that. excellent. I worked in a kitchen in, in Australia and I just, uh, I don't want to go back to <laughs> Okay. So fucking stressful. Go on. So my number nine is my second documentary. And you probably haven't seen this, but I know I mentioned it on a mini bits. And I suppose to, to give you some understanding as to how I came up with my top 10 list, I basically picked the films that had stories that were fascinating to me, that ones that stuck with me at the end of the year where I went, this is an incredible story for X, Y, and Z reason, whether it be character portraits or whether it be amazing action or whether it be amazing animation. And this is a documentary and it is an amazing portrait of a fascinating character. It's called Second Chance. standard for our body armor is will I stand there and shoot myself on the chest Richard Davis was an icon I don't know Richard's a lot <laughs> Richard's a lot <laughs> he is a truly operatic character what is the name of the Richard Davis opera um boom there are certain parts of his body I think that are bigger than his brains he shot at it and the damn thing went right through the vest going holy crap 
Yeah. Not only was it me getting fooled, it was like everybody. <laughs> if you tell anyone, I will kill you. He always seems to escape unscathed. Somebody's gonna die. Three, two, one. When we have free will, bad things will happen. It's it's about a businessman, showman, conman. His name is Richard Davis, and he was uh, in 1969. He was a bankrupt pizzeria owner. And after that, he invented the modern-day bulletproof vest. To prove that it worked, he shot himself point-blank 192 times, either in front of people or on camera. He went on to revolutionise modern policing in America through his filmmaking, through his inventions, through his self-promotion. He is a fascinating individual. And the film is is like a portrait of middle America of someone who is like uh, who can who takes hold of the American dream is self-made person has a brilliant mind is a brilliant self-promoter and ultimately maybe is like Icarus and flies too close to the sun. I think this film would make an amazing miniseries or feature film because there are so many elements in so many twists and turns in this guy's story that you want to see dramatized in scenes. You just hear them talking about individual moments. You might know him from, if you ever watch Red Litter Media. So Red Litter Media is a YouTube channel where they review uh, bad movies and such, and maybe good movies. And every so often, one of his films, his tapes from the 1970s, have shown up on Red Litter Media. And what's interesting is that they have always reviewed his stuff really positively. So he's actually a really accomplished filmmaker. And what he made were promotional videos for police departments depicting how you should react in a crime situation. And so he would make these incredibly violent reenactments of Uh, individual arrests where the police officer gets brutally attacked and assaulted and how if if they were wearing his vests or his protective materials they would have survived or maybe they were they were reenactments of times where police officers were wearing his um his uh, bulletproof vests and they actually they actually survived it is incredible he's a fascinating character I, i i i would encourage everyone to see it um it's a film full of guns boobs and uh, and and beer, but this guy's a bit of a genius. He's a bit of a genius, a bit of a huckster, and I I, I found it fascinating, and it is stuck with me, and I want to see a miniseries based on this guy. Wow, I never even heard of this documentary. Mm-hmm. Genie, I, I, do you where can one see it, or is it? it it's probably it's just doing the festival. It's probably okay. going to get a general release or some sort of a release on a streaming service okay. in in the coming months. It's called Second Chance, so keep your eyes and ears so open. So is he the it. inventor then of is it Kevlar or something like that? Is it what they use for bulletproof vests? So he invent yeah, he invented this very um very this layers of nylon. Yeah. It's that's so before there was no bullet police didn't wear bulletproof vests before the nineteen seventies. And he invented a type of tight um woven 
Kevlar, I suppose, and maybe it is Kevlar material in which it was light to wear, but it, it was it functioned um, as as a bulletproof vest. And yeah, he became a multi multi millionaire. Became basically the king of his local town because he employed everyone and was like their 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 lord. And uh, they loved him. And he was. It's just an amazing. It's an amazing story. It really is. And it's amazing how it all comes crashing down as well. So that's that is my number nine. Pierce, I'm yeah. handing it back over to you. What's your number nine? Okay, number nine. Again, I have a joint number nine. I think they're joined together by by sheer spectacle. I have Elvis and RRR. You're cheating. That's two joints you've had. No. <laughs> you rascal. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Kevin. Come on. Come on. Well, um, again, you need to hold off on Elvis. Hold off on hold Elvis. Hold off on Elvis. Because, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yep. it's on my list somewhere. But then just to talk a little bit about RRR or Rise, Roar and Revolt. Fire! Directed by S.S. Rajamouli, who co-wrote it with V. Vijayendra Prasad. And it's the fictional relationship between two real-life Indian revolutionaries and their fight against the British Raj in the 1920s. A budget of over $72 million, which makes it the most expensive Indian film ever. And it grossed about $175 million worldwide. And I'm not sure how much more I can say about it, except it is pure spectacle. You will believe a man can knock out a tiger with a punch. <laughs> <laughs> it's mad it's over the top i wish i could have seen it in a pack cinema i'd say it would be unbelievable crack it's on netflix again so uh easy to to dip in and out and, and watch it there but it's just it's just wonderful wonderful i just remember finding it yep. fascinating that it was so homoerotic without them in any way realizing how homoerotic <laughs> it was the two fellows were just like mad uh-huh. for each other just it's a real bro- bromance, basically, going on yeah. between the two guys. Dancing and, and um, twirling each other. And, yeah. And, yeah. It's great crack. It's, I it's got, didn't just, put it on this. Yeah, because it's I, got fun yeah. over the top. I didn't put it on this list because yep. I found it a little bit wearying. Yeah, I'd say if you're in the right headspace for it, it's good. But it's full on. It's three hours long, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah, it's three so hours So that's long, almost yeah. why I was saying you can dip in and out of it a little bit too, you know. Um, but uh, like you said, yeah, it does kind of... Uh, you know, it can feel a little bit much maybe at times if you're not in the right headspace for it, you know, if it's like half 11 on a January morning. (laughs) I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it took me, it took me an hour to click into the right mindset Mm. of what was going on and what the tone of that, of the film was. And once I realized, oh, this is like a superhero movie. This is just mad comic book superhero stuff. Yeah, I uh, I, I totally enjoyed it after it's that. It's great. I have watched this a couple, there's a couple of videos on YouTube of like audience reactions to it yeah. in the cinema and stuff and just people just going berserk and applause and cheering and all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, come on. You're like, who doesn't, who doesn't want to see the British Raj getting their ass kicked? You know, come <laughs> on. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Kevin, what about your number nine? My number nine is a small indie, Emily the Criminal. So if you had some money, what would you do? I just want to be able to experience things. I just want to be free. Hi, 
I paid 400 and it was never applied to my balance. Sorry, how much uh, interest is being added a month? How are you? I need a real job, just to like pay my loans. Emily, yo, let me uh, hook you up. Get your driver license. In the next hour, you will make 200 cash, but you will have to do something illegal. You won't be in danger, but you will be breaking the law. Yo, you gonna pay for that? Sorry? I said, are you gonna pay for that? My God. Sorry, man. Tomorrow, you have the option to do another job, okay? What do I have to do? You make that much selling TVs. Sometimes TVs, sometimes other things. You could show me how to do it. None of this is safe. But if you listen to exactly what they say, you'll be fine. Hello? Yeah, it's still available. One second. Huh? Yeah? You're scared of me. Hmm? Yes. We're serious people. They should be scared of us. You told me it was a one-time thing with her. I want my cut. I just want everything! People just keep taking from you until you make the goddamn rules yourself. You know what my mistake really was? I didn't go far enough. Oh, okay. Yes. Emily is saddled with student debt and locked out of the job market due to a minor criminal record. She gets involved in credit card scams that pulls her into the criminal underworld of Los Angeles, ultimately leading to deadly consequences. Stars Aubrey Plaza, directed by John Patton Ford. It gave me Nightcrawler vibes. It completely took me by surprise. I was not really drawn to it based on the title and I didn't expect much from it. And it just caught me off guard and swept me up and there's an awful lot of like uh indie films I've seen this year that I feel could take its spot like The Stranger or um even films like Apollo 10 and a half uh Nitrum was another one the Australian film about the Port Arthur shootings so many great indies but this is the one that I got so invested in and I was swept up in her storyline and She's fantastic in it. Uh, I've not seen her in many dramatic roles before, but she's really, really good in this. And um, it's a really solid film and it's worth mentioning. So I put Emily the Criminal at number nine. That was one of those ones I was going to watch. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, well, I'll try Same and squeeze here. that one in. Yeah. Darren, well, but I'm definitely going to watch it now. Your loss. So um, I should have my <laughs> loss. Um, <clears throat> we're now moving on to the number eight. My number eight comes from a filmmaker who... Before this, I don't think I've truly liked any of his films. Um, and the filmmaker is 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 James Gray. And it is Armageddon Time, the film with Anne Hathaway and Anthony Hopkins. Oh, did you finish that? Because I remember you telling me you were hating it. I did not say I hated it. I don't think I said, said <laughs> I hated did. it. You did. You did. You have one. 
Oh, I think we're, I was talking about something else. There was another film. I think you're confusing with another film that I did stop watching. Come here to me. I got that wrong there. Not Armageddon time. I'm Colleen Kuhn. Fucking hell, they're all talking double dutch. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Best film of the year, are you joking me? Fucking hip of shite. <laughs> the United States stands for an idea whose time is now. Ronald Reagan will win tonight. What a schmuck. <laughs> I think I want to be an artist when I grow up. You're going to be an artist if you want to be. Nothing's going to stop you. You're going to college. You'll have dinner with kings if he plays his cards right. Mm-hmm. I really like your stickers. My stepbrother gave them to me. He's in the Air Force. That's so cool. <laughs> How dare you? I'm a menace to you. Well, you're not to associate with him again. What do you mean? Why? I think you know what I mean. Sending me to my brother's school. This heavy. In this institution, you can be anything you want to be. It won't be because of a handout. It'll be because you earned your way there. Something's bugging you. What is it? Sometimes kids say bad words about the black kids. Who's that? Somebody from my old school. Did they ever come to your house? What do you do when that happens? Obviously nothing, of course. You think that's smart? My mother, you know, when we came over here, we didn't have much. Why'd she come here? Because they wanted to kill her, that's why. They were soldiers, and sometimes they go out looking for Jews. They hated us then, and they still hate us. So I got on the boat and we came over here to America, the land of dreams. You just want me to be like you. I want you to be a whole lot better than me. Life is unfair. Be thankful when you get a leg up. You make the most of your break and do not look back. All my hopes are with you and your brother for my whole life. Next time those schmucks say anything bad about those kids, you're gonna say something. You're gonna be a mensch, okay? Firm handshake. Okay, give me a hug. Armageddon Time is a deeply personal story about the strength of family, the complexity of friendship and the generational pursuit of the American dream. And it really is one of those uh, autobiographical stories about James Gray when he was, you know, set in in the early, early 1980s in New York as he's in public school in a kind of a one of those regular uh, New York public schools and about how he was a bit of a troubled student and how he made a, a bond and a friendship with another troubled student who happened to be black. It's really a portrait of how he took his first steps towards the, the world of art. It's also a portrait of how in the American system you're only ever going to achieve if you have some sort of backer 
financial means someone who's going to help you rise up the ste- up, up the up the ladder a little bit that that doesn't sound like the filmmaking world at all at all yeah <laughs> i thought i genuinely thought i wouldn't like this film because i haven't really resonated with any of these films before this but this felt so genuine the performances across the board were fantastic but it was there's an authentic quality to this film where you feel no this is how it this this is how it looked, how that time looked, and I, I just really thought it was a fascinating small little window into into this little into this kid's world and how once once his family get involved in his career, his trajectory through life, how all of a sudden he is he ha- he's forced to make a choice between his friendship and uh, his loyalty to his family and stuff like that. It's quite painful. It, it, it's but it was it was gripping throughout. Honestly, I I I was quite surprised by this film. I think you know you might like it. It's qu- and it's really really well shot and it has a really moving ending. Um, an excellent film. I've never said that about a James Gray before. I never said about James Gray before, and it's uh, it was up there for me. Okay, well I'll, I'll give you my oh. number eight then, I guess, yes. uh, which is Barbarian. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. Who am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you've got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. which is written directed by I'm surprised by that yeah Zach Kreger starring Georgina Campbell Bill Skarsgård and Justin Long the less you know about this film the better so you don't watch any trailers 
don't read any reviews. I'll only give you the barest of details from from me right here now. Um, so it it revolves around a house in Detroit. It's in a rundown neighborhood. There's a double booked Airbnb. There's a rather obnoxious actor going through a Me Too crisis. There's some tunnels that lead to a horrific secret. That's it. Okay, you don't need anything more about this movie. I read an interview with. Uh, Zach Greger, and he said his writing rule while doing this film was that if he was surprising himself with his writing, then he has to be surprising his audience. He said, as long as I have no long plan, then no one could know what's coming, which is, you know, one way to write a script. I think we've all tried to do that. And sometimes you kind of get mm-hmm. lost in the weeds. You kind of go, OK, no, hold on. I need to I do need some kind of map to know where I'm at least heading. Do you know, you know, it can kind of take detours, but at least quite often, you know, we sort of need to know, you know, what the destination is. But um, no, listen, I really enjoyed it. Lots of twists and turns. It's gnarly, but not too gnarly for my tastes and uh, just enjoyable. I was in the right headspace for it, I think, to be honest with you, I think at that time. I, f- I found it a little um, worthy of thinking about more when it comes to the Bill Skarsgård character being a walking red flag Mm. and yet he's the good guy. Yes. So it's invalidating her instincts. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, interesting. I find that that a bit odd of a message to say that she is mistrusting the wrong people and it's getting her into trouble. So... I know with horror films you're meant to subvert the expectations and that this guy is meant to creep her out and but he's actually well, spoiler alert, he's actually a good guy. Yeah. But um then the next character is a scumbag, but we have more sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. I found that the morality of the film just slightly odd. Mm-hmm. But yeah. That's just my take on it. Excellent. Okay. It's not. It's not on my list. Kevin, what's your number eight? My number eight is Bones and All. There's a lover in the story, but the story's still the same. There's a lullaby for suffering and a paradox to blame. I didn't know I had permission to murder and to maim. You want it darker. We kill the flame. You don't think I'm a bad person. He may be, he All I think is that I love you. You look like the kind that's convinced himself he's got this under his thumb. He may be. But you pull on one little thread and... I'm ready. Interesting. Luca, how do you say his surname? Guadalino? I think. Guadalino? I might be wrong. So racist. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's a film that stars Timothy Chalamet, uh, Mark Rylance, and a newcomer that I've not not seen before called Taylor Russell, who is excellent. Um, 
she's the lead character and the synopsis is abandoned by her father, a young woman named Marin embarks on a thousand mile odyssey through the back roads of America where she meets Lee, a disenfranchised drifter. But despite their best efforts, all roads lead back to their terrifying pasts and to a final stand that will determine whether their love can survive their otherness. So basically they are cannibals. They have some sort of um, genetic affliction, which means that they need to feed off of human flesh and uh, she has been brought up by her single dad who's been trying to prevent her from um, enacting on her worst impulses. Eventually, he can't do it anymore after she attacks a girl and uh, she's 18 and he just gives her some money and tells her to go. And it's uh, it reminded me of Nomadland in that she travels across America and it's just... It's the side of America that you don't really see that much in movies, that dilapidated, run-down sort of south. Um, it's beautifully shot. It's just got a, a, a sort of a, a noirish vibe to it. I loved it. It just drew me in. Um, Timothy Chalamet again, is giving a great performance. He, he seems to just be a chameleon that can suit so many different types of roles. Obviously, the film seems to be using this as an allegory for like drug addiction. And that they're both, I suppose, meth or heroin addicts. And uh, eventually it's going to destroy the both of them. Mark Rylance is terrifying in it. It's it's a, a mood movie. And it really hit me at the right time. This one just washed over me. And I thought it was surprisingly great. So it's on my list at number eight. Uh, yeah, it's, I found it's, it's a great movie. Yeah, Sorry, Will. Yeah. I, I, I watched it a couple of nights ago and... Uh, Oh man, I found it really unnerving. Like, yeah, it was uh, really well made. Again, I agree with pretty much everything you said, but I, I was, I found it so bleak and so, so, so bleak and so terrifying. I loved the scene like uh, with Mark Rylance, but I also loved the scene with Michael. It's St- bleak, but it's beautiful. Yeah, but the one, the scene with Michael Stuhlberg and his, his body, I found mm. that to be one of the. And do you know who his body is? No, David Gordon Green, the director. Oh wow! Oh. I did not know that. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was the second time I've noticed the director being cast in another role in a movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would give it the caveat, watch out, because it is a bleak fest. Yeah. It is a bleak I fest, think I would, it is very good. If I was doing another top 10, it would definitely be in it. And I think if we hadn't been through the last couple of years, it probably would be in this top 10. But I think, mm. as Will was kind of saying, the bleakness of it, even though, it, 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 like, as for all the reasons that you've said, Kevin, and in particularly just yeah the nomad land is a good comparison in terms of those landscapes and just the way it's kind of shot it is a beautiful kind of mood but i just yeah i could it's not a film i'll probably go back and watch again to be honest that's weird because there's a lot lot of films that i have like nixed from my list because they were bleak Mm -hmm. because i found them immensely depressing yeah dreary like some of those films I think, yeah, the metaphor you say about them, you know, possibly fantasy drug, being drug helped. addicts or, or whatever, it, it also applies if you imagine that they're film producers <laughs> just feed, feeding off people. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Behind the curtain. My number seven is a film called Living. Mr. Williams, a little on the frosty side, perhaps. Not too much fun in laughter. 
brother-like church. What is it up? Small wonder I didn't notice what I was becoming. Dad, you're right. If only to be alive for one day. But I realize it. I don't know how. Do you think we should alert the police, perhaps? What would the police care if he's a couple of hours late for work? A couple of hours late for work. Who would ever have thought? This man, who until yesterday was living a shell of an existence. And I so very much do not wish to do so. stars Bill Nye and directed by Olivier Hermanis. It is a remake of the Kurosawa film Hero. They've reimagined it to be about a civil servant uh, who is a bureaucratic cog in the wheel of rebuilding Britain post-World War II. Bill Nye's character ex- expertly pushes paperwork around a government office only to reckon with his existence when, when he's diagnosed with a fatal illness. I genuinely didn't think this film would would be on my top 10 list but everything about it just felt like a bam it felt like we were talking about bleakness there I thought oh this is going to be a bleak film because I hadn't actually seen the original Akira even though I know what it's about and I said oh this is going to be pretty heavy and bleak but it wasn't it was quite life affirming it's beautifully photographed in a lovely kind of like four by three you know square ratio what I don't know what they call that ratio officially the Academy ratio, isn't it? Is that the Academy ratio? Yeah, it creates a kind of a, an old schooly time vibe, but again, it's uh, it's beautifully composed throughout. Bill Nye gives one of his best performances in the most un Bill Nye type character, where he is so quiet and still. He's almost like one of those moving, you know, those guys you see in the street who just will stand still and they've got a hat out and you put right. a coin in the thing, and all of a sudden he'll start a moving. mime. He is so, so he's, stoic. So he's not doing his usual, I always describe it as like a grown-up Whitnail. Ex- it's like the, if Whitnail actually managed to get to 50 or 60 years of age, it seems like every Bill Nye performance is kind of <laughs> like that, that, you know? It's, it's the polar well, opposite, and it's his best performance. I've the, the, the best I've ever seen him. What's beautiful about this film, as uh, described in the in the depiction, is that this man has spent his life doing everything he should have done, pushing papers across the desk and seeing how not only himself but also people who are trying to get it, trying to use the system, like the public, are just pushed around from office to office to office until finally he decides. Once he gets his terminal illness diagno- diagnosis, he actually decides he's going to start living. And we see him go through the process of living from all the different stages. And the the one of the stages where he decides he's going to break the system or push something through the system. I found it incredibly life-affirming, beautiful, uplifting. And it was a bam. That's what I will say. It was one of those films where I felt, I'm so glad I watched that film. If you want to feel happy and a little bit sad and uh, and be swept away in a, in a in a period piece film, this is it. I, I, I highly recommend it. Living. Well, for, for all of those reasons that you've just said, well, my number seven is pretty much 
kind of quite similar in terms of being a period movie and also a BAM. And oh. that was Lic- Licorice Pizza. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair I met the girl on the Mary one day. But her mummy is yelling no And her daddy has told her to go Listen, young lady. But her friend is nowhere to be seen So how'd you become such a hotshot actor? I'm a showman. That's what I'm meant to do. To the seat with the clearest view And she's hooked to the silver screen Do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean, like beaches. Barbara Streisand? <sighs> no, but Streisand. Sand. But the film is a sad thing for This is fate that brought us together. But she's lifted ten times or more Our roads took us here. She could spit in the eye you're not my director. They ask her to focus on. Do you really want to see my boobs? Can I touch them? See you tomorrow. I think it's weird to hang out with Gary and his friends all the time. I think it's weird that I hang out with Gary and his 15-year-old friends all the time. I'm not going to forget you. It's like you're not going to forget me. Very good. Wow. So, again, written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman in their film acting debuts, and set in the San Fernando Valley in 1973. Uh, it follows the course of their relationship and then uses that as a spine to hang a whole lot of other memorable, sometimes random moments. Uh, it's got like Bradley Cooper turning up and doing a crazy John Peters impression. It's got Tom Waits stealing every second that he's on screen. Uh, he's got a killer soundtrack. And frankly, I saw it at the start of the year, which seems like about five years ago now. Mm. And I think it was in the lighthouse. And my memory is that, you know, there were still like limited numbers allowed in the cinema and we were all wearing masks. And it was just like a ray of Californian sunlight during those times. Um, is it perfect? No. Is it Anderson's best film? No. Is it what I needed at that moment? Absolutely, yes. So that is my number seven. It was. I think it was in my top ten list from last year, and I really liked that film. Really, really, and I yeah, absolutely appreciate it. Definitely, and I've still not seen it. That's worth to watch. Kevin, what's your number seven? My number seven is probably the one that is going to sink my entire top ten list. Where everyone who disagrees with me thinks, "Ah, fuck him, fuck, fuck his list, fuck him, he's an idiot." I didn't want to put it on the list because I know that it's controversial, but I just felt I would be denying 
my self to do that and I would have no integrity in my list. So I'm calling you. Genuine. Controversial. <laughs> That's on my list. It's <laughs> Halloween ends. Ah. Oh. It's been four years since Michael Myers vanished without a trace. Hello. I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you gonna do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. you why because it was bracing the original and it was swinging for the fences and it was doing something new and the combination of scenes the ideas within it it might be sloppy it might miss the mark in places but it's going for something and i appreciated that so much especially with a 13th sequel in a franchise which is long dead it's stylish i thought it was a fantastic way to end a series and i think that in years to come, people will come around on that film in the same way that they did with Halloween 3 and with a bunch of other sort of genre films and that it was a whipping boy for the season and it it's definitely not deserved. So Halloween 7, or Halloween <laughs> ends, <laughs> is my number 7. Yeah, man, I'm well, sure you know I like that film. I thought that film was actually really good. What was did the main... Cri- yeah, I did. Um, it didn't really stick with me. I think like I would be hard-pressed to kind of tell you too much about it but i'm just kind of remembering the the criticisms at the time was that, that the focus of the film the, that character that they kind of decided to follow people were kind of annoyed that they, they chose to follow that character they didn't find him terribly interesting or see i found that all like, fantastic i just liked that the yeah. morality of the movie which was saying that we can create these boogeymen and we can sort of just pin everything on them and it's like the evil is outside you, but the evil can also come from within you. And mm. if you are not a community and you are not connected to one another and you don't have empathy for one another, you don't try to understand or relate to where people are coming from, 
it's very easy to create a monster. And in that movie, you get to see the creation of a monster. And, and it's a Halloween movie where it, it should literally just be the boogeyman is going around stalking and slashing people, but no, we're getting to see the, the evolution of the boogeyman. And I thought it was just a really clever way to unpack and unpick that, that mythology and to throw something new into it. Ryan Johnson yeah. did something similar with The Last Jedi and people, you know, nearly nuked his career. But um, I really so appreciate that stuff. really were for, from people who... They had a certain expectation of well, if this is the last Halloween movie, well, it's they just know, it's wanted be, a ninety-minute yeah, big grudge, face, grudge big match. face down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just uh, they wanted. They didn't want something new thrown into the mix at that. No, late they stage. wanted Ripley and the okay. and the Alien Queen just fighting each other for ninety minutes. <laughs> for me, as a screenwriter, when I'm sitting down, I'm trying to write something I've not seen before. I love it when I see scenes like that on screen where it's like that is not where it would have gone. I'm so glad they went that way. My number six is something that was outside of my top ten until yesterday. I'd already it was a rewatch, and it was well outside of my top ten. Really, the and quiet girl. I rewatched it yesterday. I rewatched it yesterday, and it is Avatar: The Way of. It's not Avatar: The Way of Water. It is. Why isn't a, it? It is. I'm staying on. I'm staying on topic. It is also. A sequel to a franchise which has been going for decades. It was a big budget Hollywood sequel and absolutely smashed the box office this year. The highest grossing film, I think, in the world this year. It is Top Gun Maverick. It has launched its way up into my top 10 after my rewatch yesterday. What do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, a.k.a. Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not going to make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You'll never forgive yourself. No turning back now. 
Is it on anyone else's list? No, and it's not no. on for the reasons that I was mentioning, which is that every scene in that movie I felt I'd seen before. So it was like a this really well-executed exactly nostalgia piece. Yeah, yeah, this is the thing. When I first watched it in the cinema, I had all those reactions. I rolled my eyes at the whole, oh God, this is the same film over again. This is the same film happening over, like the, we've seen this in 1986. And yesterday I rewatched it and uh, myself and Karen rewatched it, and we literally laughed. And went, yeah, it's the same movie, it's the same thing. But my God, the spectacle of the film, watching it again on the on the on the big TV, it won me over. I just thought it it was an exhilarating piece of Hollywood popcorn action cinema. Each of the 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 aerial sequences were incredibly well created. The fact that it was so much of it was created in camera is a huge bonus to me it's a big budget movie with in camera sp- stunts tom cruise is probably our last true hollywood movie star and he can still make big budget hollywood movies after watching it, it's only 2 hours and 10 minutes long i thought it was longer but by god once i'd finished watching it yesterday i just went that that's the sort of stuff i do go to the cinema to watch even despite the whole nostalgia thing despite the whole i've seen this all before i still enjoyed the little twist they have and the final act i think it was great that they find they did something a little bit different to the final act and i was a little bit moved and touched by the uh by the resolution where on my first viewing i was in the different mood and i just went i groaned i gro- audibly groaned to myself watching it in the cinema the first time and for some reason yesterday i had a much better time with it and i just went it's going into my top 10 so that's my number six. Oh, it was a great experience to see in the cinema. We went, actually went and saw it in um, 4DX in wow. uh, in Cineworld. And I didn't tell Elena that <laughs> this was her first time doing 4DX. And it was she wasn't quite sure, I think, what to expect. And as soon as the first trailers started to happen, which I've forgotten what they were for, and all the seats moved, she just turned to me and just like, you f***ing and you know for the next you know two and a half hours you know we basically you know uh trained as fighter jet pilots uh what was that like well it has unreal i mean it just turns it i had a similar experience with the last um james bond as well which i saw in 4dx it's perfect it's a perfect format for those kind of movies in that it does turn it into literally a ride and, um, you know, you're having wind blown in your face. You're having water thrown at you. Uh, you know, the James Bond one was ridiculous. Like, I came out of that. I'm sure, you know, I'm just covered in bruises. I felt like I'd gone through 12 rounds uh, with, with James Bond. It was insane. <laughs> I was um, covered in sick when I came out of that one. <laughs> oh, did you? <laughs> well, you have to pay extra for that, yeah. you know? So, <laughs> but, so yeah, nauseating. No, yeah, it was a great popcorn experience. The top, and also the Val Kilmer scenes were were, were very moving. I, I think I just watched the Val Kilmer documentary as well shortly mm. before that. Um, so obviously, all, you know, very very poignant to see him and all that. Cool. Yeah, cool, cool, it was cool. grand. It was grand. It was it was a really well made blockbuster, yeah. but it was grand. I should also say I'd only seen the original Top Gun about a week before for the first time. I was never a fan of the original. I always found the original just a bit like half a movie. Oh, it's a much better film than the original. It's the same movie. 
Mm. No, well, it's the same movie plus a little bit extra. <laughs> That's what it is. Plus, plus know, him story running after Miles Teller in the snow. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I, I like this. I like this. I I don't deny anybody liking it. It's just uh, it wasn't very original. No, it wasn't. It no. wasn't. And I'm telling you, I had two experiences with that film. And the, my most recent experience, I had a ball with. Simple as that. Pierce, what about you? Well, What's your I number you, six? An, another film that I had a ball with, and which I saw at the Dublin Film Festival, uh, was The Good Boss, El Buen Patron. Tenemos mucho que celebrar. Que gracias a vosotros, hoy somos finalistas del premio que da el gobierno regional a la excelencia empresarial. Es un momento muy delicado. No podemos tener a ese individuo ahí cuando llegue la comisión. Aquí nos deja sin premio. ¿Qué dicen las pancartas? Lo que dicen siempre las pancartas. Nada bueno. Tenemos problemas peores. Mira ellos, otra vez. Te veo con la cabeza al otro lado. ¿Qué te pasa? ¿Dónde estás? Mi mujer. ¿Y es que necesitáis? ¿Te compro algo tío de oxígeno o qué cojones hago yo? ¿Y esas? Las nuevas. ¿Te acerco? No es buena idea. La justicia se tapa los ojos para no influir en lo que juzga. A mí me encanta que me tapen los ojos también. Sí. Tengo los oídos mal en el megáfono. Y tuve otitis de pequeño y los tengo muy sensibles. ¿Y qué quieres que haga yo? ¿Te llevo al otro ritmo? ¿Tú crees que puede montar este escándalo en medio de todo el mundo? Mira, Jess, está fatal. El problema es que yo tengo con mi marido no son cosas tuyas. Perdóname, es que en el momento que perjudican a mi empresa son mis problemas. Which is a Spanish comedy drama written and directed by Fernando León de Aranoa. I think so I pronounce. And it stars Javier Bardem as the boss of a family-owned business that produces industrial scales in a Spanish provincial town who basically has the worst week of his life as he tries to win a prestigious business award. And before the judging committee arrives, he begins to get actively involved in the affairs of his employees to make sure nothing can possibly go wrong. And of course, it all goes wrong for him. And it's an incredibly enjoyable workplace satire. And Bardem is so good in the main role. So funny. He just kind of taps into that just that weird space that he can kind of occupy with that incredible face of his right. that you're kind of going, is he being threatening? Is he falling apart? I don't know what's, you know, you're constantly just trying to, trying to read it. It's really, it's fantastic. I urge you to, to seek it out. It's really enjoyable to ours. What's the title again, uh, Pierce? It's called The Good Boss. So good El Buen boss. Patron. Excellent. Excellent. Kevin, what about you? What's your number six? My number six is Elvis. Oh, it's on my list as still. So we'll hold oh. on until it's higher up the list. We'll hold okay. on to that one. So we'll okay. move on to my number five. We have to talk right? about Yeah, well, we'll all talk about it when we get to it. Yeah. My number five is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Does it's on my list. list. So That's we'll hold fine. off we'll talking hold on. about that until exactly. we get to it. Yeah. So Pierce, number five. Number That's five. disgraceful. Number f- <laughs> number five is uh, Nope. 
Did you know that the very first assembly of photographs to create a motion picture was a two-second clip of a black man on a horse? And that man is my great-great-grandfather. Great. There's another great-grandfather. But that's why back at the Haywood Ranch, as the only black-owned horse trainers in Hollywood, we like to say since the moment pitches could move, yeah, skin in the game. It's a bad miracle. They got work for that. Yeah, nah, nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Written and directed by Jordan Peele. This is proper popcorn sci-fi. Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer play horse ranch siblings who are trying to photograph a UFO. There's more than a hint of Jaws and Close Encounters in this, but unlike Close Encounters, these characters don't want to communicate with whatever is out there. They just want to get a picture and monetize the experience. I loved Get Out. I was really bored by Us, and this really surprised me. Again, it's another cinematic spectacle that drew us out of our COVID caves. It's also sci-fi through a black lens, and I find that kind of fascinating. And there's a whole sort of backstory to these characters, which is really interesting. Basically, in 1877, a white photographer called Edward Moybridge captured a black man riding a horse in 12 still images, which were compiled into like a two-second sequence, almost like a GIF, called The Horse in Motion. And in this movie, our main characters claim to be descended from him. And the black jockey is named Alistair E. Haywood, except that this is actually a fictional name because the actual name of the black jockey was never recorded. And Jordan Peele basically has said, you know, in interviews, he said, I created a name, a fictional account, a mythologizing of this person. He said, I felt like the film was about my ability to reclaim that lost soul. And those have been erased and exploited. This film is, in a way, a meta expression of trying to get that impossible shot look you know is it the most original film in the world does it have i know you were talking about earlier on of you know watching movies and kind of going okay that's been taken from that film and that's been taken from, i've seen these things in different films this does the same i think that nope is more original than than some of the yeah. other films that i've not uh, listed my only reason for not including it is that it didn't all yeah. connect for me yeah i'm not sure what it totally yeah, adds up but, to but i really enjoyed this going on, going along the journey that's all that matters it. 
Will, you had a take on it, and I can't remember what it was, no, but I think it had to do with the exploitation yeah. of animals. Well, hold that, hold that. Uh, in general, it's not just the animals, it's just the, the whole filmmaking machinery is about exploitation. And so it, it, there's everyone has been exploited There's in, in some way, some way or other, in, in the efforts to create this movie, which ultimately, at the end of it, they are creating a movie in the big final set piece. You know, you can look at it that there's a director and a photographer and all that, and it's all about exploitation of some sort of. That was it. They're creating yeah. a crew. Yeah. So that's it. But yeah, I'm yeah. like Kevin. There was just things about that film that I found very s- strange. Like the monster was defeated by a blow up helium blimp. It's like knowing where Jordan Peele comes from, you could easily just with a few notches turn this whole thing into a spoof movie, into like a, a, uh, an, a Key and Peele sketch. But amazing score one of my favorite scores of the year beautifully shot that film the music was music yeah. was great yeah beautifully shot i just wish that daniel kalua just gave a fuck more he was just well, so yeah but he's also playing like film. kiki palmer is so full of energy and fills every scene as well i think you know you have to have so you have to have, you have to have some kind of contrast to that as well you know <laughs> yeah but he just was a black hole like there was just sucking all the energy out mm. of every moment I felt anyway not to uh, still to it's going to be in a lot of sorry people's. I mentioned it <laughs> I know, no. hey listen it's going to be on a lot of people's list so I'm glad that you mentioned it Pierce Kevin what is your number five my number five is on Colin Kewen it's on my Wait, list that's on my list too let's hold off so we're going to mm-hmm. jump ahead so we're going on to the number well four. I'm going to say the reason it's on my list at number five and not at number one which I assume it's going to be on both of yours is that it's very, very slight. It's beautiful, it's incredibly moving, but it's very, very, very slight. Okay. So that's why it's at number five. Even though I think the film, I gave it five stars on Letterboxd, um, and I absolutely loved it, but it, it's a one-time watch for me. So that's why it's five. Fair enough. No, and it's five is high. Uh, my, we're on to the number fours now. My number four is an animated film and I thought I was going to have a top 10 without an animated film until the last few days. It is a film made by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson because we probably, he's the co-director probably won't get mentioned too often, but it's his version of Pinocchio, which is on Netflix. I want to tell you a story. It's a story you may think you know, but <laughs> you don't. Over there! What is that? Papa! <gasps> it speaks! He's just a puppet! No, I'm not! I'm a real boy! People are sometimes afraid of things they don't know. I don't understand! Ah! We have found him! Our star! Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio! I have something I'd like to give you. It is a school book which belonged to a very special boy. The boy you lost? Papa! Enough of this nonsense. Hey, where are you going? You tell him I love him. And I won't be a burden anymore. Hello? 
the wooden boy with the borrowed soul. While you may have eternal life, your loved ones, they do not. You never know how long you have with someone until they're gone. The boy loves you for who you are. Guide him to be good. Such a wonderful gift. <laughs> and yeah, I love this. I want to yeah, say this, and I am a huge fan of the original Disney Pinocchio. I adore that film. This is my favorite version of Pinocchio. I think it's an amazing adaptation. It is actually. Did you see the Zemeckis version? I did not see that version. Yeah. Well, then. Let's not make these blanket statements. Okay, sorry. My, my, of, of what I've seen, Kevin. But I also would like to say, so far, it's my favourite Del Toro film. I, uh, oh, wow. I would agree with that, actually. I, I think agree with that. it is the perfect marriage of his love of the monster, love of the other, his, his themes of anti-fascism, his uh, themes of, of family and bonding and loyalty and I think it is the perfect culmination of all of his themes that he's dealt with throughout out his career uh, amassed in this really interesting adaptation of that story which I thought what can you do that's interesting about this and my god the anti-fascism stuff at the fascist angle that he inserts in here works beautifully with the with the story I love the fact that we saw kind of the prologue, which was great, where we saw that Geppetto is is really a man who's Carlos. Yeah, he's he's stuck in grief, and when he creates Pinocchio in a drunken rage, grief um, grief motivated rage, he's horrified by what he creates. Pinocchio is the monster. Pinocchio is the other, and. I also loved how the character of Pinocchio evolved from a quite a petulant child to a, a kid who brings in the the other monsters into the into his fold as, as allies. I just found it to be amazing. I really thought, and the, that's yeah. a, aside from talking of the talking about the art, artistry of the stop motion and the and the score, I just thought it was just a beautiful fairy tale. Amazing. I, I I was shocked by, pleasantly surprised by that film. So that's my number four. Yeah. I debated putting it on my list, but again, I I decided to weight things in terms of what I'd not seen before. So I felt like another interpretation of Pinocchio might be, it might dilute my thesis for my list. But I loved it. I thought it was great. And it is my favorite Del Toro movie I've seen so far as well. Um, It was in my top top 10 until yesterday. Oh, wow. Um, Oh, I'm curious to know what knocked it off. Absolutely loved it. yeah, and again, you're talking about the Zemeckis version, which I also saw this year, is maybe the, the film I hated the most. Wow. <laughs> I think I might watch this it out year. of curiosity. Jeez. It's just that the most That one looks like it's, it's a one-to-one. It's, yeah, it's the most to- shocking waste of talent and money and time to make just... Uh, 
you know, again, it's a remake shot, of the animated film. A remake of the of the anime. You're like, what are you doing? What's the point of doing that? You have the animated version already. It's perfect. Mm. You don't need fucking, you know, Tom Hanks with you know trying to be, you know, Giuseppe or whatever, and trying to, you know, copy his accent. I, the, the animation is is real to me. The animation version. I don't need to have a as a Mecca's version of that. You know. Yeah, oh, yeah. That brings us a let's stay with the, the, the final shot when he was walking up to the to the graveside, mm-hmm. and the different characters were just disappearing. Yes, out of his life. I just found it so tragic, but a beautiful and film. I uh, watched this with Ellie uh, beside me, and she was constantly drawn back to it. Constantly, yeah. he, she was just looking. She was playing with her Christmas toys, and she was just looking around the armchair, just staring at what happens next. And that's yeah. a great, um, a great testament. Playing with her switchblade. That bit when he looks up at the, you know, Christ, uh, Christ the wooden <laughs> Christ on the cross, and asks, you know, why do they all like that wooden boy and not yeah. me? Or something, you know, oh my gosh, I was like, this is. Yeah, and I thought movie. I thought, and I, I just love the additions that they made to the narrative. The whole, mm. you know, the whole blue, uh, the blue fairy, uh, and that whole narrative about you know that aspect that he he can't die. Brilliant stuff. Every sort of, every, I think every decision they made in the adaptation was. Exquisite. I want to know who Kate Blanchett was playing. She was playing the blue fairy. The, no, that was Tilda Swinton. Kate Blanchett. No, no, no. She play um the the animal. Was the monkey. Yeah, the monkey. Really? I didn't know. Yeah, that. yeah. yeah oh, she wow. She, oh, she wow. plays the monkey. You know. That brings us on to Pierce. Your number four. Yeah, we're on the four. Number so. four, which I kind of again, I've been shuffling these things around. I think number four, and again, it has been mentioned here earlier, the Fablemans. Oh, okay. It's just outside my top yeah, ten. Same for me. Movies are dreams. That you never forget. Sammy? to change how everything looks it's hard to find our house ours is the dark house with no lights in this family it's the scientists versus the artists sammy's on my team takes after me Miss what he does. It's playful or imaginative. You could afford to be a little encouraging. She should have been a concert piano player. What she got in her heart is what you got. You can't just love something, you also have to take care of it. It's more important than your hobby. Can you stop calling it a hobby? Mom got a monkey. Why'd you get a monkey? Because I needed a laugh. You always have to be the center of attention. Stop shouting at her! That has been nothing but disrespect from you! I'm your mother! Family, art, it'll tear you in two. You stop making movies, it'll break your mother's heart. I don't know what to do anymore. You do what your heart says you have to. 
was your favorite part? Yeah, I wasn't expecting really to be all that mad about it. I thought from the trailers and and bits of information I I heard about it, that this was going to be Spielberg doing his version of the Wonder Years, Mm. right? And it kind of is, but the craft in it, the storytelling in it, written by Spielberg and Tony Kushner, it's got this you know, combination of sort of new actors and established actors. It's got Gabrielle LaBelle as Sammy Fableman, who's kind of basically your Spielberg substitute. The film is dedicated to his parents. Again, it is autobiographical with fictional elements kind of thrown in there. I've read interviews with Spielberg where he says that basically the film is about when does a young person in a family start to see his parents as human beings. And that is a theme which will also be in my other movies coming into our top top three. Mm. But I just really, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I like the fact that it viewed all of its characters fairly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it wasn't, it, you know, it didn't judge them and say, well, you know, this is how you should feel about that character. It just presented them responding you experience these characters and, and in the end, you just went, they're just human beings. I felt there were really, every character was rounded. They had their moments when, you know, they weren't such a great person. They had their moments when they were a nice person. Um, and it just drew me in. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's Spielberg and all his years of craft and everything coming into it. And there's just beautiful little moments in it. Again, as Kevin was saying earlier on, it's probably, you know, a lot of stuff there that we've seen in a lot of other movies, but it just as a concoction, as a mixture, it all kind of worked for me. And the cameo at the end, which I don't know, we won't give a spoiler on that. No, let's not spoil it. Oh, it's my favorite shot of the year. Favorite yes. final shot of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's been. But a I co- wish I, the I, film. I was thinking about that. What are my favorite shots of the year? And it's definitely um, it's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, my my two favorite final shots of the year are from After Sun and um, and this. Yeah. But I will say, when he did that little thing at the end, yeah. the, the final shot, I thought, I wish the film was more like this. I wish the film had more <laughs> sense of humor, and also. I feel like the film is very guarded. I don't think the film is is really willing to dive any deeper than the surface level. Spielberg is one of the greatest filmmakers to ever have tackled film. But the big conflict of his life, of his upbringing, is that we all loved each other too much. And it just feels a little um, insincere, I think. The more distance I've had from the film... I don't know if it's insincere now. I think it's harsh. The more distance I've had... Uh, the, the more distance I've had from the film, the more it's I just don't buy on. it. I don't buy his mother being this manic pixie dream girl type character. I I think that there's a lot more dysfunction there that he's not willing to tap into. The fact well, that they I mean, were, she, she had such a close a, a, relationship with a guy a who was, to the house. How much dysfunction do you want? Manic pixie dream girl. That's not. Uh, I didn't read it that way. I didn't read it that way. I was. I felt uh, with the distance I've had from the film, it's really grown uh, for me because I. I. What I think I said on the mini bits is that maybe the drama doesn't sustain its length at times. Sometimes the drama has to restart. But with distance, now I'm looking back on it. I'm going, oh wow, this is actually the main dramatic push. One of the kind of the, the the I suppose the 
the sub-themes of this is his own relationship with film, the act of filmmaking and his relationship with filmmaking and how that evolves through the course of the film, how he, 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 he encounters it, how he falls in love with it, is, becomes obsessed by it, but also how he rejects it and how he then uses it to get ahead. And there is a fascinating moment. There's a fascinating moment where he makes a school project and he frames the school bully in an interesting way. And there's a fascinating scene with him and the school bully afterwards in the corridor. It's Homer, but it's very like a Lenny Riefenstahl yep. movie. Like, you know, the, you know, you know, yes. it is, it yeah. is like a Lenny Riefenstahl. Propaganda. Yeah. Yeah, 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 propaganda. It was like, but it's also him saying, him basically having to have this disconnect between his own emotional relationship with this individual in real life versus creating the best possible movie you know sacrificing be able to be able to put that to one side is like what what's most important is making the movie it's like it 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 goes it transcends it transcends his actual real world relationships and stuff like that and i just found i want to go back and rewatch it with kind of like like that arc you're talking about i mean he starts out his relationship with the camera is that it's a way of it's a, a way of expression but then it's also it's a it's a truth teller and uh, in, a w- in a way that he's not expecting. Yeah. Um, and then ultimately it becomes an object yeah. of control that he can actually, he can edit and control mm. this world that literally has a, either a monkey in his house running around, <laughs> you know? And yeah. this is his way to get back that control. And as you say, make the bully look like some kind of God, even though he's been treating him like total shit. Yeah, I, that, yeah. All, that all worked, worked for me, I have to say. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's my number 11. But as I said, I, as somebody who grew up in a very dysfunctional household, I just look at it and think, God, weren't you just so privileged and blessed and everything was just so nice. And it, it was just mm. that everything was too yeah, nice. It's not, it's not like nil by uh, mouth just or something like feel, that, you know? It's just <laughs> real. The opposite. Yeah. No, but, no, but my life no. wasn't nil by mouth. My life wasn't nil by mouth, but I just think that it would have been a lot yeah. more dysfunctional than he's letting on. They got divorced. Divorce doesn't yeah, happen and, that And, and literally she that yeah, fell in love with her husband's like, best mate. Yeah. Yeah. And left yeah, him, yeah. left the, the family. It's the same thing with like the end of Close Encounters where he decides to fuck <laughs> off with the aliens and leave his children behind. It's like Spielberg is a master at being able to make you go with stuff. But if you take a step back, you realize that's a very callous and cruel thing that he did and a selfish thing. But you don't question that because the filmmaking is so good. And I just feel that... There's a lot that's left unsaid in that. And that's fair enough. It's his movie mm. and it's his life story. He doesn't want to damn anyone. I thought it was... No, he doesn't want to damn anyone, but I found it a bit um, toothless. Kevin, what is your number four? My number four is Tar. Oh, okay. That's, that's also on mine. That's, yeah. that's on my list. So we'll move on and move on to number That was three, my number one again. for a long, 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 long mm. time. And then I shuffled stuff around last night, and it's number four. Right. But I so we'll, we'll be we'll be talking about it in a second. So move on to the number threes, and my number three is Elvis from Baz Luhrmann, the director who reimagined Shakespeare, reinvented the musical, and redefined a classic. Comes a bold new vision of an American icon. But this ain't no nostalgia show. We're gonna do something different. 
comic book heroes all find their superpowers. Elvis found music. Uh, bring that bass up, Jerry. I wish to promote you, Mr. Presley. I believe I can be great. But up but up Some people wanted to put me in jail. So Wells moving. Don't so much as wiggle a finger. I'm gonna show you what the That moment, Elvis, the man, was sacrificed. And Elvis, the god, was born. I would do anything to make sure my mom and daddy never had to live in poverty ever again. I think if you dream it, you'll do it. You know? Yeah. You put an end to your boy's animal behavior, or we will. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. But in the end, you gotta listen to yourself. You bled me dry, and you still want more? I am a promoter. That is what I do. What you see is God-given, so there can't be nothing wrong with it. Are you ready to fly? I'm ready to fly. Elvis, Yes. I know it was on Pierce, it was on your yep. list. Kevin, was it a, is it higher up on your list? It was my number six. So let's talk about Elvis now. Elvis is a story about a singer that probably no one has heard of, this guy called Elvis and Presley. I absolutely love this film. I had a ball. Directed by Baz Luhrmann, and I honestly think this is one of those situations where it is a perfect marriage of subject matter and director because Elvis was big and bombastic and theatrical and a bit gauche and you can say the same for Baz Luhrmann and I just found watching Elvis in the cinema and once I got into the groove of watching the film I genuinely felt I was at I was watching a concert a kind of a a life of concert and I was I found my foot my foot was going I was tapping along to the music I was just riveted by the editing the filmmaking choices it was big it was over the top yes Tom Hanks is wearing a lot of prosthetics and is a weird kind of narrator and and, uh, a framing device for this film I still bought it I just bought it because this is a fable he's it's it's a it's a mythology, and uh, I didn't quite. I've never actually seen the kind of the downfall of Elvis, or not. I knew it, things went bad for him, but I didn't know the kind of the ins and outs of it. And I know this is dramatized, but I just was swept away, and uh, I was moved by the end of the film as well. Loved it. Do you remember where you were when he died? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was, I was on the toilet pocket. eating a cheeseburger. It turns out, and uh, it really struck home. Uh, yeah, this Austin Butler uh, as Elvis yeah. is fantastic. I think he really yes. and like think of what an yes. impossible role that is to play for for any actor. But again, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Park, Parker is fucking appalling. Like really. Genuinely, he, I, I was just it. like I every time yeah. he appears, every yeah. time we got this like incredibly annoying narration that he does. Like Colonel Tom, when you know he he was Dutch, but you know Tom Hanks and Baz Luhrmann stick the proverbial clogs on him, and every time he is like the focus. I, I think the film is shit, but every other time the film is <laughs> he is not on it, focused on him. 
it's fantastic. Over the top, wild. And nailed the alien-like quality of Elvis in his time. The pink suit, the voice, Elvis the pelvis, the hysteria of what it must have felt like to see like this Memphis lad absolutely tear up the stifled conservative air of 50s America. Fantastic. But just get, give me an edit where Tom Hanks is not in the movie. Fantastic. I heard an interesting interview with Tom Hanks where he discussed how covid there was the production was paused because of covid and he was they were about to go into into shoot it and he was going to portray tom parker in a kind of a much more sinister in a sinister tone and during covid he actually had a few conversations with priscilla and people who had direct contact with the colonel and he they they described him as being really charming and never nasty or mean. And he went, oh my, he kind of, he got a new perspective on him. He says, oh, I'm going to play him a little bit more yeah. gently and more likeable. He ends up being like a sort of a Dutch Falkhorn so, yeah, leghorn, basically. In the, and kind I, yeah, of, just yeah. so annoying. I think it kind of suits the story. I think it's because the story is just so uh, cartoonish in a way. And uh, he's a car- another He's part of the circus, uh, another, I guess. Yeah, yeah, over the yeah. top yes. character. He, he he's, yeah, exactly. He's part of the circus. Yeah, it's so everything that I would have. Is... No, no. Yeah, can I tell you what <laughs> I thought of the? <laughs> so no, please, go on, Kevin. Yeah, right. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. I, I was just trying to keep my. No, no. Go on, Kevin. What I love about Baz Luhrmann is that he takes everything to eleven, all aspects of filmmaking. It's the costumes. It's the editing. It's the music choices. It's the composition. No one else is going to give me this much movie. As, as he will give. And it really worked in this case. And uh, it was uh, it was like an explosion in a, in a Christmas store. I loved it. That's a great description. Great. Yeah. You should be a writer, uh, Kevin. We're on, <laughs> we're on the number threes now. I'm okay. just trying to keep track of it, you see. Uh, Pierce, what is your number three? Just going to look in here. Okay, um, the worst person in the world. That's on my list. Ah, that was my number Is one. It? Okay. That was my number one from last year. That's on your list. Yeah. That's on right, my okay. list. Okay. So we're going to hold off. Now we're moving on to Kevin for your number three. My number three is Triangle of Sadness. So, is this runway casting for a grumpy brand or a smiley brand? So it's a grumpy brand, yeah. Congratulations! Show me that Balenciaga look. Oh, Suddenly I'm dressed in something way less expensive. It's H&M! Yay! Balenciaga! And H&M! Balenciaga! And H&M! You look paid for the tickets. Not bad, huh? <laughs> so what do you do? I sell shit. The success of a luxury cruise mainly depends on you. I don't want to hear anybody saying no. Always, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I command you, enjoy the moment. No, no, no. <laughs> what? You say no to me? No, no. Oh, sorry, it's yes. Yeah, no. Yes. Go in. Yes. <laughs> the saints. Do you think it's possible to wash them? I don't think that's possible, ma'am, because. This is a motorized vessel. Yeah. So we don't have any sails. It was sails. Yes. Well then, in that case, we will clean the sails. Yes. Of course. Yes. Tense. 
to love. A Russian capitalist and an American communist. <laughs> On a $250 million luxury yacht. Under. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just love, but This is really bad. This is really, really bad. seen this yet right yeah. oh have neither of you seen this no I saw it I okay. saw it yeah. is it not on your list Pierce no oh my god <laughs> that's shocking this to me was the most fun I've had watching any film all year it was hilarious frequently again as I said at the, the top of the episode I like scenes that I've not seen before the combination of them what's going on what's the conflict and there were moments in this where I don't want to spoil it for you now, Will. It's basically the the elite of the elite are on a yacht and yeah. the hierarchy of crew having to cater to their every whim and the tables get turned quite literally. And uh, yeah. it brings everybody down to their baser levels. And it's just frequently hilarious. It's sort of like a scathing satire on where we are in the world with rampant capitalism. So there's a moment where one of the cooks, or no, she's a toilet attendant, ends up becoming the leader of the survivors that are on an island and uh, ends up currying um, favour with the young buck, sexual favours, for more food and the, the sort of the conversations that are taking place and the, the different conflicts that are arising from that. I just thought it was just so bloody fun. It okay. stars Harris Dixon, Charlie Dean, who is the lead girl in it. She just died recently, which is quite tragic. Oh um, no. What? Yeah. She, um, oh if you notice in the film, she's got a scar that goes right down her belly. She had her spleen removed. And, uh, I think it was during the summertime, a pet licked her. It was either a pet dog or a pet cat licked her face and she got sepsis and it killed her within 24 hours. She would have been oh a big star. And when you see the film, oh you'll come God. away with even more of a disappointment about that. Models Carol and Yara invited on a luxury cruise with a rogues gallery of super rich passengers. At first, all appears Instagrammable, but the cruise ends catastrophically and the group find themselves marooned on a desert island. Ruben Ostland was the director. So yeah, um, my favourite comedy of... Uh, the year easily great I'm going to watch it yeah I, like you say amazing amazing moments in it um, and yeah prob- probably a film actually I will go back and watch again come to think of it um, just as you were even talking about it, I was like oh yeah bloody yeah that was that was really good um, yeah maybe I need to reassess maybe it should be in my top 10 <laughs> damn it alright we're going to move on to the very top of the list now well, second to top. We're on to number two, so I just had to double check. It's so hard to do the mental. It's so hard to keep track of, oh, what are we, what are we, where are we all? My number two is Todd Field's film, Tar. Same and here. 
Oh, wow. My number four. You want to dance the mask, you must service the composer. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. is a film set in the international world of classical music. It centres around Kate Blanchett's character, who is called Lydia Tarr, who is a widely, widely considered to be one of the greatest living composers, conductors, and first ever female chief conductor of a major German orchestra. It is... I found this film riveting because it is a, an amazing character portrait, but also it is a gripping story about how the past comes back to bite you. And when we meet Lydia Tarr, she has it all. She has chauffeurs driving her where she where, where she needs to go. Everything is perfect. She's also a perfectionist and uh, everything is just immaculate. She's anything, brilliant. Kind of, <clears throat> she's a brilliant she's also person. amazing. When she's giving that lecture with the class, I'm like, yeah, yeah bang on, I agree with you. But she's an EGOT, isn't she? She has all the various awards that you can possibly win. You know, the Emmy, Grammy, yeah. Oscar, Tony. But I feel the film is is throwing out there that maybe some of this is Ill, ill-gained as well. I feel that maybe she's not as amazing as she is. But she obviously has great talents, but uh, there's an ego involved. It's a, it's about this titan of an individual and how, you know, their their, their past does come back to haunt them. And it's fascinating. It's a I Me Too it story. Riveting. Told- with a lesbian mm-hmm. protagonist. 
Yeah, yeah. I found it gripping. Gripping. I, th- I, I think it's really game. interesting you're saying haunted by the past because there's this other element in it, which is there's a supernatural element into it, which again, yes, you kind of don't, maybe you know, we don't quite pick up on sometimes, but um, I have actually watched you're it twice. You're talking about the mix? I'm talking about it. No, I mean, actually, in the, she is literally haunted by yeah. that girl, the redhead girl, red hair girl that, um, uh, you know, committed has, suicide. who's committed suicide. She appears in scenes in the background that you don't even probably notice. You need to see it what? on a second view, like in the apartment. She is tucked away in the corner. <laughs> no. Oh, I've just gotten chills yeah. that you've said that. Oh, oh yeah, no way. Like there's stuff going on where... Like the, the air conditioning unit keeps this, switching yeah, it's on. Yeah, the, the sound keeps... stuff. There's a bit where she goes running in the park and yeah. she hears these screams. And I think you can interpret it as, you know, this is somebody whose job, as she kind of describes it with one of her hands, is to, is to control time. And this yeah. is time, as you say, catching up with her, but also time kind of almost like falling apart in a way for her. And there's a suggestion I would really point once people have watched the movie there's a slate article right from December 8th by a guy called Dan Kwa K-O-I-S he says Tar is the most talked about movie of the year so why is everybody talking about it wrong and I read this article and it actually changed my whole perspective on the movie go on and literally you kind of realise there's a possibility that the last 20 minutes of the movie maybe more um, where she's basically getting her comeuppance are, are totally in her head, are totally imaginary. I want to watch it again, though. Oh, wow. From the point that she basically goes in after the celloist with the little bear. Remember they go into that weird kind of abandoned house type of thing? Yeah. From that point mm-hmm. on, it's actually all in her head. And it's kind of the idea of... When she's having her comeback, that really sad, depressing comeback. No, yeah, uh, no, all of that is basically her kind of imagining what could happen to her. Right. Oh God. Yeah. So again, those kind of movies where it's like, oh, it's all in her head type of thing, tend to be very unsatisfying. But because this one actually remains in her head at the end, when we see that amazing kind of last scenes, which again all feel kind of weird, like unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just, and you're kind of going, well, that's because they are, it is unbelievable because it's not actually happening. It's in, it's all fantasies in her head about what happens if my past catches up with me. Obviously, I did believe in it. I did believe that this is how, if, if her past, this is kind of edging towards spoiler Mm. territory, if the past does come back, comes back to haunt her, that in her line of work, this is how she might be outcast, essentially. Right. This is kind of like what it might feel yeah, like. Yeah, she's been cancelled. You've been cancelled. But, like, yeah. you know, she still turns up at that, like, concert being given by um, Mark uh, Strong or whatever. She's there. She's standing beside other people. Nobody kind of reacts. She charges onto the stage. So, like, all of that feels like, it feels like a fantasy. I do think they react. I just think that that's how people in that no, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, listen, I think it's all interpretation, but I think you this there is, is room to interpret it as a fantasy and a supernatural mm-hmm. horror. What I found funny is that people believe that this was an actual biopic on a person yeah. that they'd not heard of before. Yeah. But from a technical point of view, the, the filmmaking itself, it's intoxicating. It's just the, the stillness of it. The, the world that, as I said on our mini bits, when we talked about it first, <clears throat> when I told you about it, Will, um, I just love rich people inhabiting spaces I'd never get to be in myself. It's just like, oh, look at the kitchen. 
Look at the hallway. Look at the concert hall. Look at the backstage. Yeah, I just love that car. stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was my number one up until yesterday. And I, I took it off because I saw a film that I wanted to talk about. Great. And that made me shuffle well, everything around. Avatar. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're on the twos now. Pierce, I'm passing it over well, no, to you two, now. What's two your number was two? Tar for me. Oh, sorry. Okay. So we both had Tara yep. too. Excellent. That goes over to you now, Kevin. What's your two? Everything, everywhere, all at once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. What's happening? I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. I'm so tired to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. He's waiting in the wings. The universe. He speaks of senseless things. Is so much bigger than you realize. Of all the places I could be, I just want to be here with you. Remember our mission concerning the fate of every single world of our infinite multiverse. There is no way I am the Evelyn you are looking for. Every rejection, every disappointment has led you here. To this moment. Don't let anything distract you from it. Oh, why is it so high? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I'm joking, because you said to me, why do you have it so low? Because <laughs> I had it at five or something like that. <laughs> Go on. Oh, yeah, because I was I just don't know what you could put higher than that. Um, except for what I put higher than that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, come on. Let's go. Tell us about that. Everything Everywhere All at Once is the best film of 2022 for me. It's directed by the Daniels. It stars Michelle Yeoh, Ki Hu Kwan, short round, making his comeback, Jamie Lee Curtis, James Hong. It's um, quite a small story in terms of scope. It's about a laundrom- 
mat owner who needs to do her taxes and she's trying to she's trying to control everything in her life and she's failing at it and she's dealing with a, a daughter who she's drifting away from and everything gets quite metaphysical and surreal and absurd and it's all to tell a story about connection and about seeing people for what they are and what they in, they really mean and knowing that you can't control everything and to just be, just be present, just be in the world, just be together, connected. It's a lot of movie. And the reason I didn't put it number one is for that reason. I feel like there's about 20 minutes of this film that if you cut it out, the film would be bang up number one for me. Uh, and I think that would be true for, excuse me, I'm getting bonged up. I think it would be true for a lot of other people as well. So that for those 20 minutes where I feel like it's just repeating itself a little too much and it's a little too loud and a little too chaotic and a little too manic, I think that that detracts from the overall message. Um, it's a film that sort of wowed me, surprised me, uh, entertained the shit out of me, made me laugh. I was just struck by the visuals. And then at the end, I was just like sobbing, crying at the beautiful sort of like earnest intensity of it all uh i just think it's a fantastic film and a strange film but a very human film and yeah my number two excellent I, it's a wonderful film i and i heard i i felt the um i i loved i listened to whatever uh interview did daniels did with um the trailers from hell podcast can i just say can i just say we tried to watch the the film here and we got about an hour in and just lost interest (laughs) oh wow and i tried i tried to watch it again and i also kind of lost interest a bit around the same point and and just um yeah so you didn't get any of the beauty of the the ending no i yeah yeah I'll have to try again. Be a rock. Just be a rock. Try please. again. Yeah, it's worth going the whole way. Going the whole. I was. I thought while watching the film, I went, "Oh, this is like an animated movie. Mm. This is like it has that same. That the, there's the same kind of like logic that's going on that you would use in constructing an animated film and its editing style and its kind of like ambition with its imagination. Uh, I and I, I found it fascinating in their their interview with uh, Joe and Josh that the Daniels discussed. There, it's a podcast in which they talk about their influences, the films that kind of make them, and they listed all animated films. So they're basically animators, and I think they come from a school of animation, a background of animation as well. Um, I thought it was wonderful, and maybe it was it's a little bit down my list because maybe I erred on the side of, of what uh, Kevin was suggesting earlier on, that it might have been a bit too much, but I want to go back and watch it again, and it might go further up my list if I did watch it again. I still thought it was a, a wonderful film, a real achievement to make an, such an ambitious, imaginative, creative and moving personal story uh, which has such a limited budget. And which is Curtis all just about a, all year. a mother and a daughter connecting. And when it all boils down to mm. that, uh, I found it really deeply affecting. But they go to such an extreme to really hit it over the head um, that I think that if they just paired back from that, they don't need it to be that excessive, then I think it would work for a lot more people. And I think Pierce would probably stick with it. Uh, who but, who um, cares about that guy? That <laughs> <laughs> asshole. Now, we've come to the business end. Uh, Kevin's already kind of predicted my number one. People are strange. Dr. Michael Morbius. It's I'm calling Kuhn the quiet girl. 
How long should they keep her? Till after the baby? <laughs> she can't they keep her as long as they like. Well, here, Erin Galinsa. Shasamach, good out of Miss Blake Carter. Can work her. She'll have you a house and home. Don't we all eat in spurts? Same as we grow. We keep the child gladly. A yawn? Ha, quite a dull, ha, boo. Cut! Cut! You fed the little funny, my son. On a rein to me! Now be a lord. Isn't your mammy good to you? Colleen Kuhn and Colleen Kena. Tell she made this god here all. The, the Quiet Girl is a story adapted from a either a novel or a short story by Claire Keegan. Uh, it's adapted and directed by Colin Bernard. The story is about a quite neglected girl who is sent away from her dysfunctional family to live with relatives for the summer. She blossoms in their care within this house where there are meant to be no secrets. She discovers one. Uh, I It's at the top of my list. Because it is the best, not simply because, one of the reasons on top of my list, I thought it was a beautiful depiction of an Ireland that I know, other to, uh, you know as opposed to other films that have been set in Ireland this year. Mm-hmm. I think... Banshees of Finnish Aaron. <coughs> not naming any names. <coughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a film, uh, an amazingly composed and gentle story about characters who, are, who need love. Who, are, who who desperately, desperately need love. And they found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> I thought the performances were amazing. Yeah. The 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 girl um Catherine Clinch. Her name is Catherine Clinch yep. was fascinating. And she just her face emotes I don't know, I, I there's a there's a sadness in her. There's a sadness and a yearning in her and a stoicism that I just found so compelling to to watch. Yeah. Carrie Crowley, who I knew from RTE in the 90s. Carrie Crowley used to appear in RTE in the 90s, you know, on all Echo their sorts of shows. Yeah. Echo Island or, yeah, some health shows and yeah. stuff like that. She was so... I, not, she, who is she? I, I really felt for her. She's the mom. She's not... No, she's the, the wife of the... Um, the aunt. She's the wife that they go and visit. The aunt, basically, yeah, yeah. The, the aunt or the cousin or whatever mm. she was. She's such a warm presence. Yeah. Such an open, loving, natural mother. She, you feel, in, you feel that this girl is safe when she's around her. And, of course, the uh, the dad who's played by Andrew Bennett, Bennett yep. I'm pretty sure. Uh, he was, he was great. His stoicism and it, he, his character depicts a, 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 an Irish trait, which is our inability to be able to communicate our most sincere and 
deep feelings to each other. Yeah. I liked when he apologised by putting a biscuit at the yes. table beside her. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Lovely? That's such an Irish thing. He doesn't have the language, but he finds a way through actions. Yeah. And I found those little observations, it cut me. This whole film cut me deep. And you watched it on a plane, didn't you? I watched on a plane and I was sobbing after about 20 minutes. So there was like these little moments, these little, just slight moments just had me weeping. And it stuck with me throughout that year. Um, I, I think, yeah, it's a slight film, but I think that's just one of its strengths. Yeah. I think it's slight. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It tells yeah. a powerful story. And I when I say it. it's a slight film, that's not a knock on it. It's just that when I'm trying to wait up the complexity of the other films, then, like, and Colin Kuhn made filmmaking look easy. There was only one aspect about it through the entire film where I felt it just went, a touch into Lassie territory and then I cringed but beyond that I think it's a perfect film and yeah it's a fantastic adaptation you know um yeah and I was surprised to learn that the line that I didn't like was from the book yeah so you know that sort of when when you read the book there's a tiny bit there's a little bit more context provided did you read the book yes yeah it's only short it's like as well it's a short story or novella very it's only about 70 or 80 pages long you'd read in one sitting and the film kind of provides a bit more context in terms of her home life before she goes to those distant relatives in in, in waterford you mean the book does does. no 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 sorry the film does yes Yeah, yeah it adds context to it right um and at least I thought so anyway. And but then the rest of it plays very much, you know, just follows the story that's told in the book. Um, and, you know, we know how hard it is to find material that is suitable for, you know, adaptation like that could make a good good movie. So fair use them for to column for, you know, discovering this the book and realizing what a fantastic film it, it would make, you know? Um, and yeah, like you said, everything you said there will like Andrew Bennett really, I thought was amazing because um, he's a man again, haunted by grief. Um, they're both haunted by grief, actually, you know, both himself and Carrie Crowley, but they're both dealing is dealing with it in different ways, you know? And, and mm. she has totally opened her heart and he has closed it. And basically, a lot of the movie actually is really about the relationship between the kid and him and kind of how they bridge that gap and find the vocabulary to kind of, you know, talk to each other and, and tell each other it's how they feel. the world as well, though. It's like yeah. a neighbor prying for information after being so sort of nice to her. Oh, mm. It's like, oh, God, I know that person so well and, and, and yes. how, how snide they were. But it was also the moments that really affected me were... It was, it was healing through through these gentle moments that they observed of like touch, where she would bathe her, and the girl had never been bathed before. And it's not to say that she's so neglected that she's like a street urchin, but it's that nobody had ever fawned over or cared yeah. for her. She's and been then a she bi- she's, through that. The way I describe her, she's been a, like a bystander in her own life, basically. You know, like she's just been disconnected from her. I've heard that line now twice, and I wrote that into a script years back, and I thought, there God, I'm clever. I tell I'm you. Clever. And I keep hearing it now. <laughs> it is a clever line. It is a clever line. But yeah, she's disconnected from her parents, disconnected from her other siblings. And yeah, like, you know, she fi- she finds a connection with these other two. I just did not like the last line of her saying, Daddy. And she hugs him. I thought that's just you don't need that. 
I, I get they, it. I get it. it. I just, I don't. I just don't need that because I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But then, will you said something, which made me think, oh, shut up, it, it works. Is that she's the quiet girl, and this is the biggest word she's ever spoken. Yeah. And so, um, I thought, oh, it's okay. a huge. It's yeah. a huge thing for to say this. It's a huge thing. I, so I, that's I, both year number one. Uh, when, when, no, I, that, I, I've cheated, lads. Because I, oh, you've cheated. I've gone for Go joint on. number ones because I couldn't fucking oh, I couldn't separate them. Couldn't separate them, and they both actually are so similar in ways. And you know the movie I'm going to say is going to be After Sun. I love you. Love you. Scotland. No. Why? And there's this feeling once you leave where you're from that you don't totally belong there again. You know, I want you to know that you can talk to me about anything. Whenever parties you go to, boys you meet, drugs you take. Dad! Oh my god, what even is that? These are my moves. <laughs> no, that's so embarrassing. That's not embarrassing. You okay through there? I don't know. I guess. I just feel a bit down or something. Not you mean. Don't you ever feel like tired and down and feels like your bones don't work, like you're sinking? You never know where you'll end up, though. You can live wherever you want to live. Whoever you want to be. You have time. Oh, I haven't finished it yet. Uh, written and directed by Charlotte Wells. Set in the late 1990s. And it's Sophie, who's an 11-year-old Scottish girl. She goes on a vacation to a Turkish resort with her father on the eve of his 31st birthday. Um... Like I said, you you can compare both of these movies. Both films are dealing with kind of the emotional lives of children and adults and how they kind of work out their shit, so separately and also together. Um, Sophie's played by Frankie Corio, who's fantastic. She's got this amazing exuberance, energy that fills every scene and makes Paul Meskel's performance work because his performance is really very deliberately restrained. You know, not quite as restrained maybe as like the normal people kind of performance that he did, but it's, you know, not far off that either. And uh, if they were, if you swap the kids out of this, if you put, again, Coit from Colin Kuhn and put her into this movie, I think that would be a hard watch because you would have, both two kind of emotionally constipated almost, you know, figures. Mm. So Sophie, uh, you know, she just, she's a brilliant counterbalance to his kind of whatever the stuff is that he's going through. And there's a dual timeline going on in the film, which adds a further layer. You get these moments kind of flash forwards 
to a rave where the father is dancing and he's kind of lost in a moment. And you see a grown-up Sophie trying to kind of get his attention. And then also later you wait, see... Wait, 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 yeah. wait, wait, stall, stall on. Go on. Flash forwards? Yeah. I thought that was the, the flashback. You can interpret it anyway. I mean, she's there as a grown-up, so... See, this is where I got confused because I thought... Yeah, yeah. I thought that was him when he met the mother. Yeah. He's at a rave and he's meeting the mother. Yeah. But then the daughter looked so much like the mother yeah, yeah. that when the daughter appears as a grown-up in it, I thought, is that the mother? Yeah. I got confused. Yeah. And then there's also moments where we see the grown-up Sophie and she's looking at a footage that they shot, you know, while on holiday as well. So you've got all of these kind of things going on. It's like Sophie as a kid trying to understand her father. It's got Sophie growing up trying to reconcile what happened. And it all just kind of blends into this really poignant, you know, picture of, you know, a father-daughter relationship. And again, the final shot is one of the, you know, best shots of the year in, you know, when they kind of leave uh, at the airport. And ah, if you, I don't want to spoil it anyway. Just, don't just spoil seeing it. as you've seen both, Pierce, which is the better one, the Fablemans or After Sun? Oh, I think After Sun. I mean, like, it, final shot. you know, Fablemans is a, a little bit gimmicky, but I loved it. But After Sun is there's an emotional wallop to it um, that really kind of stuck with me. So yeah, and and again, these are moments like when you mentioned earlier on, Kevin, about on Colin Kuhn and the moment when the father leaves the biscuit, and you're kind of like suddenly, yeah. oh, there's a moment of communication, a bridge has been made here, and I again in this film there are those so sort of small tiny moments that you know are are nothing. And yet they're also emotional Everests in these people's lives, you know? And for her, like one of yeah, them... Yeah, the daughter says something to him. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of moments is... where she kind of... She's there in scenes where she realizes he doesn't have very much money and he's trying to haggle for a rug or something. This is in Turkey. Or she loses some scuba diving equipment and knows it's expensive. And, you know, he you know, is trying, you know, not to kind of show what, what it means. But there's also a moment as well where at the resort... Um, the kids who she's kind of become friends with, they're leaving. And one of them gives to her the bracelet that kind of allows you access to like all the free food and drink at the resort, which, you know, she didn't have. Obviously, they were on the whatever, the cheaper kind of budget version of it. Um, and I just thought, oh, this is, you know, this is such a lovely, tiny, small detail. Clearly, I would say comes out of the writer director's life. I mean, she has kind of said that it's very autobiographical, this, this film. Um, but it was just a lovely moment of kindness. It's very convincing yeah. of a nineties film. Yeah. I'm going to, yeah. it's one of those films that got lost up in my Christmas chaos where I started this, but I was, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back and let's finish that film. Yeah. So i um, glad you mentioned brought it up. So I, I didn't love it. You, I can't remember what film guys you were saying you found bleak bones and all. Mm. I didn't find mm. bones and all bleak at all. I found After Sun very bleak and dreary. It wore me down towards the end, and I wanted to give Paul Mescal's character a hug. So you're doing your best, mm. and I did find the final shot to be very poetic and beautiful. But everything else, I can't say that I loved it. Which brings us to your number one, Kevin, our last entry in our list. My number one is a film that I watched last night for the first time. Uh, it was on your list last year, Will. And so I put it off for that reason, because I thought there's no point bringing up a film that was on last year's list. But I'd not seen it then, and it didn't come out until April. 
And when we did our live show, you bumped into the lead actor from it. And I had no idea who he was. And oh, right. You went up and you, you fanboyed over him. And I thought, oh, I'm sure that means something. And then I saw the film and I thought the film was devastating and beautiful and deep and meaningful and just a really special film. And it's the worst person in the world. Mm-hmm. Let's go potter. Okay. Okay. Hold it. Hold it. Vi åker ut, Rola. Vi åker det. Vi åker det. Nej. I said goodbye to me. I looked in the mirror. Then I began to cry. I leave my things behind for all to see and hope that she will understand why. Ending the game is like changing the name of your Hvis du er glad i mig, hvis du elsker mig, så da fikser vi alt det andre. Ja, jeg elsker dig. Men jeg elsker dig ikke. My number one from last year, yep. I'm pretty sure. And it was, was it your number one? Okay. Yeah. It was my number, so, whatever, three, I think. This like, year, yeah. this kicks the ever-living shit out of Uncalling Kuhn. <laughs> It makes Uncalling Kuhn look like a student film. Oh, but no, I'm just trying to be combative. No, um, they both work. They both work in in different ways, getting to the same thing, which is that they make me feel human. I don't know what else to say about this film that hasn't been said by other people I've listened to throughout the year. Um, she's a complicated character. She's a messy woman. She's hard on herself in ways that she doesn't need to be. And she is stumbling through life in a way that I think is very relatable to a lot of people. I thought the dialogue scenes, the exchanges between the characters were so authentic and 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 sad that I took so in, long to get to see it. It chronicles it should have come up in slow-mo scene. Oh. When she freezes time? Yeah. Yeah. So she kind That's of slow-mo though. Well, it's basically all of the rest of time around her has stopped. Okay. And she runs across across Oslo to basically have a perfect day with a guy that she's kind of... And wouldn't you love to have that superpower? Yeah. She's having a crisis and she's thinking about leaving her boyfriend who... They're kind of soulmates for each other, but she has this restless spirit and she wants to see what else is out there. And she's sort of fallen for this guy she met at a party, which is one of the most believable sort of... um, falling in love scenes I've ever seen where a boat sort of partnered up and they're pushing the mm. boundaries of what would be considered cheating and it's like watching each other pee or smelling each other or divulging secrets and stuff and I've, it's like this is, doesn't technically count as cheating yeah. mm-hmm. um, she's amazing in it 
But so was that guy that you bumped mm-hmm. into, that Anders Danielson Lee. Yeah. We were having breakfast and I was sitting there and there was a guy having breakfast opposite us. And I went, he's very familiar. Like he was very slight. Like he wasn't like a really like handsome looking, but he's a very slight, quiet looking man. And I was staring at him. I know him from someplace. I know him from someplace. And then it just dawned on me. Oh my God, he's the guy, her long-term boyfriend throughout the film. And uh, <laughs> as he was leaving, I, I jumped him and, and I um, fanboyed, as Kevin said, all over his yeah. shoes. Trier. Directed by Yakim yeah. Trier. It chronicles four years in the life of Julia, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and struggles to find the career path, mm. leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is. It's called The Worst Person in the World, but she's mm. far from the worst person. I heard a really world. lovely story. Uh, in- that would be her dad. Her shitty, <laughs> shitty dad. Yeah. Why are yeah, you so shitty, Toby, dad? I heard a lovely story in an interview with Trier. That, that sequence we mentioned, where, again, she runs across Oslo and everyone else is kind of standing still. So they had lots of extras who were, like, hired, you know, for that particular scene and had kind of been told, you know, you, we want you, you're crossing the road with your suitcase or whatever the hell, you know, and just stand in this position. But they said as they were filming it, and it, they said it was just after kind of the first lockdown had happened in COVID. So it was people watching from buildings all around in Oslo. And once they saw what they were doing, it said loads of people just joined in. No way. So there's loads there's of people in that scene who just literally just ran in and just froze and just wanted to be part of this kind of group thing. Amazing. I thought that was a special effect. No. And again, in the same interview, Trier was kind of saying he didn't want it to look perfect. Do you know what okay. I mean? So, like, if you see people trying to kind of stay still, but they kind of move a little bit, it's, not, it's, it's the so imperfection that kind of makes it human, you know? I like when she runs past a couple that are kissing and she puts his hand on his ass <laughs> <laughs> just to speed things up. I, uh, But no, some of the conversations that I had between yeah. the, her and her different partners, they're, they're great. beautiful and... and I, 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 Again, yeah, just so another affecting. quote that Trier said about the movie. He said, it's a coming-of-age film for grown-ups who feel they haven't grown up. Yeah, well, I relate to that. <laughs> I, to, to add to that, I actually, I have two lists going throughout the year. I have I do a, a ranked list of the films that have come out in, in a particular calendar year. But I also mm. keep a list. Are we doing honourable mentions? No, no, no. I just want to add to what you just said about the, the worst person in the world. Are, are we, is it and, the list of people who have betrayed you in the industry this year? <laughs> Is this what we're getting on to now? Well, this is far well, too long. To, and they're both here on the both here on the score. Um, no, I also keep a list of the first watches of the year. So the f- films that I watched for the very first time. This year I watched, uh, I have a list of like 130 or 140 films. And the film that's at number one, because I watched it within this calendar year, is The Worst Person in the World. So The Worst Person in the World is, uh-huh. a, is the top of that list of all of my first watches of 2022 as well. So why did you put it on last year's list? Because I watched it for last year's list. But I probably watched it January 1st or January 2nd last year. Oh, you rewatched it, you mean? No, no, no. I actually, we recorded probably January 2nd last year. And I probably watched it. No, it went it. out on December 31st. Then it's on my list for this year. So this there's is, some this sort of clerical po- podcast gold. Someone's, po- someone's going to be shot. <laughs> honorable mentions. Honorable mentions. You must have seen some films that you wanted to mention, but you didn't. Uh, yep. Well, the, like I think cool. we were saying, there's a there's a ton of movies that basically you mentioned at the start that I haven't seen and I want to see. And you know, Pearl, I, I've heard a lot of people kind of talk about, say it was quite good. The Souvenir Part Two, I really want to see. Haven't got around to watching it. Yeah, lots of other ones. Will 
my honourable mentions are uh, Netflix's All Quiet on the Western Front I thought that uh, remake that. I thought that was great yep. really good The Northman even though flawed but still so technically impressive Hustle that film with Adam Sandler on Netflix uh, the basketball yeah, very good. Was very the basketball good. movie yeah, the documentary about the Opportunity Mars rover called Goodnight Oppie. I love documentaries and uh, space, space exploration. The animated film by Richard Linklater, uh, Apollo, a ten and a half, which I thought it was. Great yeah, fun. it's one of mine. Um, uh, Prey, I enjoyed Prey, Turning Red, and Jackass Forever. Those are my honourable mentions. Okay, uh, Apollo ten and a half is definitely one of mine. Um, Fabermans wasn't on my list, so it's at number eleven. Pinocchio down, Turning Red as well. Watcher which is on Shudder, is the, the film with Micah Monroe. She goes to Romania and she feels that she's being watched. Really stylish, really slight, but very effective. Um, you Are Not My Mother, the Kate Dolan film. Mm. It's one of the best Irish horror movies of the last 10 years. Really beautifully shot, great performances, and I think that Kate's going to have a huge career. That's definitely one of mine. <clears throat> Nitrum, the Australian film from Justin Kurzel uh, about the Port Arthur shooter incredible and i guess another one i can mention funny pages is a weird film very weird quite disgusting directed by kevin klein and phoebe cates's son it's about a sort of um a comic book artist but everybody in it is gross so it's it's a curiosity i'm gonna mention the stranger which is a film starring joel edgerton it's an australian crime film and it's stylish and tense, surprising. The Stranger. It's on Great. Netflix. Yep. So. All right. Lads, we, we got there. We got there. It's 2020 done, 2022 done, wrapped up, and we are out. We are not going to watch films for at least six months. That's us done. I'm not. Well no done. more films over two hours. It's disgusting. Stop it. If you make a film 90 minutes, uh, you're guaranteed to make it into more top 10 lists. Pierce, thank Not you so much. Not a single film I saw this year warranted being over two hours. There. Said Pierce, it. thank you so much for joining us in this epic long uh, list-a-thon. It's been a pleasure. Let's, let's, get, let's all get those Christmas decorations down now. I have to go down and <laughs> help. <laughs> They're flammable, so just set a match to them. <laughs> Cats eat decorations, don't they? Pierce... Are you on Twitter? Where can people yes, find you? Kevin, still, still on Twitter. But for how long? How long am I still going to be on I'm Twitter? I'm gone. We don't know. Uh, Pierce is writing is the Twitter handle. So join me. Join That's me, P-E-A-R-C-E. won't you? P E A R C E. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And folks, uh, we'll be back with a regular episode very soon. It's Kevin's wildcard episode. Yeah, if you listen to reunions, there's a little tag at the end that let you know what the episode was. Yeah. But yeah. That's coming it. out January 11th. Whatever. <laughs> Something like that. Talk Come to here. You Happy New Year, Happy everyone. New Year. Happy New Year. Let's go. To boldly go. Follow us and give us a review or whatever you do on the old things that you need yeah, to do. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Seriously, please rate and review the podcast. Please. Please rate and review the podcast. We haven't had a rating or a review in a long time. It definitely affects the algorithm. It definitely affects how many people get to see the podcast in their uh, recommendations and also we're on Patreon and we're putting out as many uh, podcasts over there as we do main shows and they're a lot of fun we cut loose we say things we shouldn't say and uh, we'd love to have you come and join us so there we've a lovely 
we have a lovely website as well so you can look at us that way come here lads thanks so much for joining us thanks Pierce thanks Kevin this hey, has guys. been Pierce mind the badger <laughs> I did warn him <laughs> look <laughs> badger and here is a clip from the lads latest mini bits bonus show the full episode plus 100 more are available on their Patreon the best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. But the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't remember really what. <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the latest. Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing. Because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it. That'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So yeah. I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh at the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried that. my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. Yeah, that's exactly what did you do. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. I've not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God. I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem from the telly and the latest film. Talking shy, they're the dynamic duo. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage, oh dad. <laughs> That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could have happened. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about should I start the timer? Is this, have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rare okay. to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I all I know is I saw a poster. Oh, very recently, it went. There's a Madam Web film, and I'm. What is this? So it's a Spider Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies but I don't know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together so is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse to me it feels like it's in that space 
Mm. Anyway, I thought I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. Are you it's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? You're well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless. And, you know, you just have sound stage after sound stage. And I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films. I feel like yes. there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels... It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction you know protein in it whatsoever you feel like oh yeah. wow I just I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry it feels like eating plastic okay on the whole it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them yet I found The Flash really fun because it was it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times it was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects whether they're good or bad, you know, I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it. So I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went into Madame Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. <laughs> Oh, I have to listen to it. <laughs> he was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Kathy was pushing back and... I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Catty here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought- <laughs> <laughs> but you know so what? Funny. It didn't feel like a superhero movie. So I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the, the credits. And I liked Dakota um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. And um, I enjoyed it. So I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. (laughs) 